Hey guys, before we get started, I want to tell you that the Los Angeles Chargers rely on Bose QC35 headphones too to black out distractions and focus on what matters most. That same powerful noise-canceling technology helps you concentrate on your music, your work, maybe this podcast, or whatever you're passionate about. Learn more at Bose.com slash Chargers. Bose, the official headphones of the LA Chargers. Hey everybody, Chris Harry with you on a Week 11 edition of Chargers Weekly. A bit later, NFL.com's Mark Sessler tells you why the 7-2 Chargers may be this year's spoiler in the AFC. But first, the Broncos head to Los Angeles this weekend fresh off their bye week. Nikki Javala of the Athletic Denver gives this week's opposing view. Nikki, the Broncos coming off their bye week what is the team saying about facing the Chargers here in L.A.? Well, I think they understand it's a, it's a huge challenge, especially with the way the Chargers are playing and, the, and their standing in, in the AFC West. I mean, the Broncos the last two years haven't been anywhere where they want to be. Um, and, and especially after the bye, their games after the break have really hurt them over the last two years, both of them losses. Um, and it's kind of set a stage for the remainder of their season. So this game is huge for them. Um, they go in as the underdogs, obviously, and they, they have a lot on their plate to try to win this one. But um, they need to, honestly, to, to salvage what's left of their season and kind of build a foundation for next year. Well, Nikki, I look at their schedule, and they've had some close losses. I mean, they played the Chiefs tough specifically in Denver, uh, you had that three-point game against the Rams, and then a couple of weeks ago, the latest example, just a, a 19-17 game, I believe, against the Texans. Uh, what do you think has been the biggest challenge for this team, getting over the hump, getting in the win column? Yeah, it's been interesting with this team. I mean, last year, they they lost eight straight. They were blown out along the way. The last time they were in L.A., they, they took their first shutout loss in 25 years. This team is is. Better in, in regards to, you know, they're, they're not getting blown out. Um, their defense, their pass rush is still there, but their defense isn't as solid. The offense is improved. They got a run game. Um, but their record at this point is still the same as it was last year. The difference being is, you know, they're a little closer in their losses. And I think it comes down to, you know, in each one, maybe a couple plays here and there that are, are just kind of silly mistakes, be it penalties or, you know, um, Miss field goals were a decision to even kick a field goal. There was a, there was a one against um, what was it the Chiefs where, or, yeah, no, it was the Texans where they decided to have Brandon McManus kick a a sixty yarder and he missed, and everybody's wondering why did you even try for that field goal? So each one has come down to like only a couple plays that has really hurt them, um, and they haven't really turned in a, a complete game outside of you know the blowout win in Arizona, and that's. Uh, in my mind, kind of an outlier because of the state of Arizona's offense in that game. So, um, you know, they, they have enough talent to be better than what the record shows, but unfortunately they haven't been able to put it all together. Well, you know, a couple of weeks ago too, I thought it was such a surreal scene to see Demarius Thomas in a Texans uniform after being traded just like four or five days before, uh, what was that scene like in Denver with Thomas coming back? And obviously, uh, for Chargers listeners, you, you know Demarius Thomas and, and the impact that he had on the Broncos, but also in the community. I mean, this this was a guy that was a, a big deal to that organization on and off the field. 
Yeah, that was a that was a very surreal week because leading up, of course, there were all the reports and rumors that um, you know he might be dealt, um, given his contract situation, the fact that. You know, they had two young guys that they just drafted coming up, especially one who's kind of a similar frame to him in Cortland Sutton um, and has really emerged as kind of that immediate impact player. So um, it, it was weird because, you know, we, we heard these reports that he might be dealt. We've heard these reports of some teams that were interested. He heard them, too, and he actually addressed these rumors twice in that week, but he really had no idea what was going on. Um, and it wasn't really talked about between him and the coaches him and the, in the front office. So, it, it was a little awkward for him, um, and then it was very emotional when the deal was actually done. Um, you know, I, I think it hit him pretty hard, more than it does most players. I think they all understand this is a business, this is how it works, but this is a guy that, you know, was drafted by Denver, spent his whole career here, has lived here nine years, and now he's starting over, really. So um, that game was pretty it was odd, honestly. I mean, to come back after four days, he, you know, he came back to Denver what Saturday. He got the chance to go to his house and pick up some more things to take back with him to Houston. And it's just, it's weird to see him in that, in a different uniform and a different uniform number playing with a new team. And, you know, he had success early in the game. Um, you know, and I, I think it's good for him that he landed there because they are doing pretty well, um, the Houston Texans, but um, it, it is, pretty weird that the Broncos let go of um, not just one of their all-time great receivers, but, you know, one of their lasting leaders in that locker room. Sure, and they've only played one game without him, but how does this offense change in any way? Obviously, Emmanuel Sanders becomes the number one option. you got a pair of impressive rookies, starting with Cortland Sutton on the outside. And then Philip Lindsay, I think a lot of people thought that, that Royce Freeman was going to be the bell cow. Philip Lindsay, undrafted out of Colorado, has really kind of stolen the show in the backfield. Yeah, Phillip's really showed out. And I think that, you know, that was expected. A lot of the guys here are familiar with him, obviously, because of his time at CU. Um, Van, Sean Elway, Gary Kubiak, they were all at his pro day in Boulder. So they knew what he could do. Um, and it was just a matter of him being able to prove it and earn a spot, which he did in training camp. Um, but, yeah, he, he's been one of the most consi- consistent players on that side of the ball. And Roy Freeman has been dealing with an ankle injury. He was out for two weeks. He should be back this week um, against the Chargers. But that rushing core, I mean, at the start of the season, we were talking about how, how young this group is and how much uncertainty there is. We don't really know what they can do. Um, are they worried about the learning curve? And, and so far, that group has been one of the best in the league, honestly, in, in yards per carry. Um, so that's certainly been a bright spot for them. Um, and Phillip has you know, shown his ability to catch uh, passes out of the backfield, which helps. But I, I think losing to Marius, I mean, everybody harps on his drops, perhaps rightfully so, but, um, you know, his, his numbers set enough. And I, I think losing a guy, um, just his presence alone would create mismatches and, and would open up other opportunities for other receivers. So uh, I, I think it could take someone at some adjustment for um, Emmanuel Sanders, who is elevated now to the number one receiver spot, and, of course, the rookies who are still kind of learning the way. So, um, we'll see what happens in L.A. I think this will be a good gauge of where they stand there. And I believe this is the first time Case Keenum will ever face the Chargers, I think, with any team. Uh, obviously, a new quarterback for, from last year. Uh, how would you assess his play through the first eight, nine games of the year? I, I think it's been okay. I, I think, you know, when any quarterback takes over in Denver, it, it's like a pressure cooker out here. I mean, especially when you have 
um, the history of John Elway and Peyton Manning, and then John Elway now running the team, uh, there's a level of expectation that's just different than other cities at that position. So um, he's done okay. I think it does take an adjustment, um, you know, for anybody coming into a new system, new staff, new city. Um, he, he played better last week. I think it was probably his most complete game um, uh, against Houston. Um, and, and he dealt with a, a string of turnovers to open the season, which was kind of odd considering he only had seven um, all told last regular season. So, you know, if he can continue to reduce the turnovers, continue to make good decisions, I think they'll be fine. Um, but it is it is interesting to watch the turnover at that position and how each player deals with it differently. Um, but, you know, Vance Joseph has told us repeatedly that he thinks they're just now hitting their stride between the coaching staff in case and just learning what he's comfortable with, what he's good at, um, and kind of building from there. Well, you flip it over to defense, Nikki. I think one of the cool storylines this Sunday is you probably got the two leading candidates for Defensive Rookie of the Year sharing the field with Bradley Chubb and Derwin James. And we, listen, we know what Von Miller can do. He already has nine sacks on the year. Chubb has six and a half of his eight sacks, I believe, in the last four games. Uh, what do you think is responsible for his recent success? Well, they they tweaked the scheme a little bit, which raises the question why it was different to begin with. But <laughs> sure. they kind of tweaked the scheme to allow them to allow him to get to the quarterback more. I think that they had him dropping back in coverage, and they were trying to get too fancy, honestly. Um, but now they're just letting their pass rushers do what they do best. Um, and it's, you know, obviously really helped him. It's helped Bond in return. Um, but this is kind of what they envisioned when they drafted him at number five is to have, you know, not just one elite pass rusher and some really solid backups, but two elite ones, kind of like they had with Vaughn and DeMarcus Ware in their Super Bowl run. Um, you know, this kid is still young, obviously. I don't want to make any comparisons to DeMarcus Ware, but his presence alone and his natural ability and kind of what he's learned so far is, it's really impressive. Um, you know, they, they spoke highly of him throughout the offseason, throughout OTAs. They've spoken highly about the entire rookie class, to be honest. This is probably one of Elway's top rookie classes um, out of the draft. So, um, you know, they're they're really impressed with what they've seen from Chubb. And, and I think it's only, um, you know, I think with what he's going to be able to do with Bond on the upside, I think it's gonna, they're both going to be even more productive as the season progresses. Yeah, it'll be cool with a, a reunion for Chubb and uh, Justin Jones, who who was drafted in the third round, played on that defensive line at NC State alongside Bradley mm-hmm. Chubb. And, Nikki, kind of a, a cool story. We got three former Broncos across this offensive line here at the Chargers. Russell Okunga obviously spent a year there. Virgil Green spent a lot of time in Denver. And then Michael Schofield has been a mainstay on that right side of the offensive line. What do you remember about those three guys' time in Denver? Yeah, Virgil Green was one of the most tenured Broncos before they let him go into the agency. Um, a strong tight end. I mean, I, he's one of their best blocking tight ends. Um, uh, Michael Schofield, to me, I, I think that's one of their biggest mistakes, honestly, and, and letting him go because he's really flourished on the line in L.A. and for some reason they couldn't make it work on their own line. And their line is, um, you know, they've lost a couple of key guys to injuries and over the years it's been pretty spotty, but... You know, I love seeing what Michael Schofield has become on that line over there. And him and his wife are one of my favorite sports couples. His wife is a gold medal hockey player. So they're a pretty impressive couple. Um, You know, as I, in Muscle Okun, his short stint in Denver was interesting. Um, You know, 
he dealt with a lot of injuries too, and I, I think they expected a lot more out of him when they um, brought him in to kind of shore up the left side of the line. Um, but that was kind of the time when they're, you know, the Broncos. Um, yeah, I, I don't want to say it was spraying, but there was some friction between the offense and defense, and you know they weren't playing at the same level they were the year prior. Um, so I, I think each one had a very different experience. Um, glad to see they're all doing well over there. I mean, all of them are great guys. Virgil was Virgil was huge in the community in Denver. Um, Michael is one of the best guys to cover, and for me anyway. And um, Russell is very involved with the Players Association, and is always a great interview. So. Yeah, it'll be interesting, kind of a former Broncos reunion over there. Yeah, definitely. And we were just talking, it's kind of strange that we're in week 11 and the Broncos and Chargers haven't faced each other yet in 2018. What do you think the biggest challenge is for the Broncos when you look at this Chargers team, both offensively and defensively? uh, The Chargers have been able to get after the quarterback a little bit as of late, and then the the offensive balance has been there really from from week one on when you talk about Phillip Rivers and Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I think those two are you know, at the top of the list, you know, trying, I think it's going to turn into one of those pick your poison games, kind of like it is with the chiefs with all their offensive weapons, you know, you're going to try to contain Melvin Gordon or try to contain Philip Rivers. And that's going to, you know, make you vulnerable at the other spot. I, I think going in their their priority is to try to stop the run. Um, so that's, I mean, they got a huge challenge there and they've seen what happened when they let their run game get away from them uh, on defense I mean, they they gave up 20 yards to the Jets, and that was probably their their biggest black mark on the season. Um, and then on the other side of the ball, I think the offense. Um, I mean, they're missing Matt Paradis, who's their anchor at center. They're missing Ron Leary at guard, so they've kind of reshuffled the line because of injury. And I think it's going to be incredibly important for them to um, really make sure they they protect Case Keenum. Um, he's been dealing with a knee injury too throughout the season, so it's. Um, even more paramount that they kind of uh, protect him, give him time to throw. So um, it's going to be a, a huge challenge for the Broncos, no doubt. I mean, I you know I, I think the Chargers have one of the best offenses in the NFL, frankly. So um, big challenge for the defense and certainly for the offense to respond and put points on the board. And these division games, they're always interesting. Uh, most times they're close. Uh, what do you think is going to decide this one, Nikki? Um <laughs> Well, for the Broncos, when I think it'll come down to um, minimizing mistakes, reducing turnovers. I mean, they and and they've said this repeatedly after um, many of their own losses is they beat themselves because of their own mistakes. So if they can play a clean game, I think they have a fair shot. Um, so honestly, I think it comes down to, to turnovers and penalties for them. So we'll we'll see. Nikki Javala, the Athletic Denver. Nikki, you do awesome work at the Athletic, and we look forward to seeing you in Los Angeles. Thanks. I look forward to it. All right, before we get to Mark Sessler, a quick break to let you know that this season we've taken Chargers Weekly to the next level. That's because I'm using Bose QuietComfort 35 Headphones 2 on air now. The powerful noise-canceling technology helps me black out distractions and brings you the latest news on the LA Chargers. And when I'm not recording, I tell you every week, these are my go-to wireless headphones. They help me black out noise. I'll use them on the team plane. Not this week, though. We're finally back at home but I'll use them on the team plane so I can concentrate on my game prep and, of course, bring you that next episode of Chargers Weekly. Visit Bose.com slash Chargers to learn more about the most powerful Bose headphones yet. Bose, the official headphones of the NFL. Okay, my next guest, a brilliant writer for NFL.com. He's one-fourth of the Around the NFL podcast, 
and an all-around great guy. Mark Sessler joins me on Chargers Weekly. Mark, it's been a while, my friend. How are you? I'm doing great. I think the last time we talked was at the Combine, and I was with Dan Hansis, our fellow podcaster. I do. I remember this. interrupted mid-conversation by Daniel Jeremiah. Very unprofessional uh, <laughs> move by Daniel there. Is it surprising to you, though? Was it surprising at all? Not at all. It's what I've come to expect from him entirely. <laughs> I love I love the move the sticks around the NFL uh, pod feud. It, it's it's one of the more underrated storylines of 2018, in my opinion. It's uh, it's entirely real too. It's not a bit on any level. So. <laughs> Well, Mark, I'm thrilled to have you on. I want to talk about some of these matchups in Week 11, but let's start with the Chargers. They've won six straight. Uh, their last home game, 41 days from this Sunday, where they beat the Raiders 26-10. Since then, they went 4-0 on the road. They're winners of six straight. What do you like about this team, Mark? I like the balance. I, you know, it's so easy in the NFL with the way this season is, especially with the best teams out there, to just focus on offense and you look at the Rams and the Chiefs and certainly the Chargers, and there's so many showy pieces on that side of the ball that uh, that, that sort of dominates the highlight reels. But I, I really think that their defense also has been so key. I mean, you haven't allowed 20 points since week four. And I, I just think that this is, this, this is the Los Angeles Chargers team that people have been waiting for because they really can do it. They can, they can hurt you in so many different ways. And that's unlike other teams in the AFC and NFC they are dominating. It's like the Chiefs, for instance, have issues on defense. I, I think the same thing can be said of a couple teams that have these lofty records, but the Chargers are the team that have that balance, and that's so key. And without Joey Bosa, you know, I have talked to Daniel Jeremiah about this throughout the year. I, I think it has been key to get some of these guys who may not get starters, reps, in the mix. I mean, talk about Isaac Rochelle. He has four and a half sacks in his last five games. Melvin Ingram, four sacks in his last five games. And then if you do get Bosa back at some point in the near future, I mean, you're giving guys who were maybe second, third string guys valuable reps for games in December, which are going to make a big difference in this AFC playoff picture, Mark. That's exactly, you know, there's sort of a blessing in disguise to have Bosa have been out, which is you're getting one of the league's best pass rushers back. Uh, when he is healthy, it seems like that would happen in the next couple of weeks or so. And, you know, in theory, he'd be fresh. And, in t- and on top of it, you just have much better depth at the most key time in the year. In the campaign, when you want to be peaking in December going into January, you've got these guys that might not have seen reps before doing things for the Chargers in a positive way. And I just think, like, you, when you throw someone like Derwin James into the mix, who is a absolute defensive rookie of the year candidate and maybe even a favorite at this point it's it's been he's made such a difference on this defense as well and they're very dangerous and the thought that they're going to get Joey Bosa back in time for some of these games down the road like the Steelers potentially I mean that's just huge he's such a he's such a ferocious game changer that it just makes you think of this defense and think they've not even reached their potential yet it's really hard to believe that Darwin James was drafted number 17 overall when, when you see the impact that he's made on this defense. Not only playing free safety, but in the box. He's really done it all. He's tied for the lead in tackles. But you do have to talk about the offense, Mark. And Phillip Rivers, 21 touchdowns, four interceptions through the first nine games. And then Melvin Gordon, despite playing one fewer game than some of these other guys, he still has double-digit touchdowns and over 1,000 yards from scrimmage. Uh, What's been more impressive in your eyes, just the way that Melvin has performed both in the run game and the pass game, or or Rivers' hot start? I think for me, it's it's Melvin Gordon because this is a player that a couple of years ago, people were kind of wondering, when is this going to happen for him? But he's right up there with Kareem Hunt. He's right up there 
with Todd Gurley in terms of his consistent week-to-week production. Um, Austin Eckler, I, was, I think that the duo, the two of them, the way that they both play has been so key for for the Chargers. And it's really for Melvin Gordon through the air as well. These running backs that are, are that are really at the top of the list are able to hurt you in so many different ways. And he's definitely one of those guys. But Rivers is, Rivers is also, I mean, it's all, sometimes I feel like Philip Rivers gets a little bit forgotten when you bring up the conversations about Tom Brady and Drew Brees. And, and you know, even, even in his own city, it feels like the attention is put on Jared Goff. And it's just that Philip Rivers has been doing this for so long. He's so consistent. He's an absolute iron. He's an iron man. He's one of these quarterbacks that does not go out of the lineup. And he's playing some of the best football we've ever seen right now. And so it's, again, you look at this roster and you say, where is the real weak spot? I think that there's this eternal issue at kicker that's, you know, haunted them for a long time. But with, with Philip Rivers playing the way he is right now, they absolutely are going to be a tough out for any team in the league. And I really do not just, I'm not willing to hand this division to the Chiefs yet. Not in any way. There's a long way to go. Well, tight end, you know, when Hunter Henry went down, everyone thought the tight end could be a, a potential weakness. I tell you, Virgil Green has been awesome in the running game. So is Sean Colkin. And Virgil gets you a play if you need it. Antonio Gates will get you a play if you need it. But really, these wide receivers, Keenan Allen has been doing a lot of the dirty work. He got in the end zone for the second time of the season against the Raiders last Sunday. But you look at Tyrell and Mike Williams, when you have deep threats like that, I believe in yards per catch, they're number two and number four in the league, respectively. It just goes back to what you were saying about balance. There's, there's not a ton of teams that, that can boast a wide receiving core like this and then also a quarterback like Phillip Rivers and, of course, Melvin Gordon. Yeah, I think the problem for defenses is just like, what do you focus your attention on? I mean, unless you've got a stacked secondary that can pay attention to all those weapons, and also keep an eye on Melvin Gordon, you're in, you're in a world of hurt. And that's played out week after week. It's like, I, you know, I remember watching, I had to cover that Browns-Chargers game. And Cleveland's been up and down, obviously, on offense. But they, that's the one game where I felt like they were completely non-competitive because by the time you got into deep into the second half, the Chargers had absolutely dropped a bomb on Cleveland in every possible way. And it's sort of a week-to-week week week thing where it's like they just can you can't really say if you take out this player, we're going to take care of the Chargers. There's too many weapons. Well, Mark, a lot of people forgot that the Browns at that point, every game they played was either in overtime or it was decided within like three or four points or, or fewer. So uh, I thought that was a really good win for the for the Chargers. Everyone will point to, oh, it was the Browns. But hey, the Browns, through the first five weeks, they were in every game, including New Orleans, where, where they really should have won that game in the Superdome. Yeah, it's the one game where it was a completely different script and they were utterly dominated and it was no fluke. I mean, it's, it's, it kind of showed you everything that the Chargers are. And I, I really like the fact that they've got these two games, the Broncos and Cardinals, and I really see a team with a chance to go into Pittsburgh at 9-2. and two, And at that point, you have to look at the Chargers. The Chiefs are an issue in your own division, but if they have with, an, with another game against them as well, a potential buy team. And, and then everything is set up. Uh, from there, and but even if they even if that weren't to happen, the Chargers just feel like the AFC spoiler to me. Where it was easy to question what they were after Week Three when they lost to the Chiefs and Rams, but now we look back and say we get that those are two Super Bowl contenders, and the Chargers have been you know pristine since. So I, to me, they're the spoiler team in the AFC that no one wants to deal with right now. And of course, that Steelers game was just flexed to NBC Sunday night, but. They got to take care of business first against the Broncos, and these divisional games uh, can always be very close. The teams know each other so well, 
And when you have a pass rush like the Broncos have, frankly, with, with Von Miller and Bradley Chubb, it's something you got to account for. These guys have 17 combined sacks. I think Bradley Chubb has six and a half in, in his last four games. Uh, how do you see this one shaking out with the Broncos coming off a bye? I think they're going to take care of business. I mean, it, it, Bradley Chubb has turned into the player that they thought they would get, and, and that, you know, that was big for this defense, which is not – it's easy if you don't really watch the Broncos just to think, oh, that's the team that went to the Super Bowl a couple years ago. It's not that defense at all, and there's, you know, they've, been, they've been hurt in a bunch of games, and I know it's easy to look at that Cardinals wipeout on Thursday night football a couple weeks ago and wonder if they might have you know, their, their action back, but they, they simply cannot hang with these, some of these teams, and they're giving up, they give up a mountain of points to Kansas City uh, tight game with, with the Texans, but I just I feel like the Chargers are not the team of old that finds a way to slip up and lose these games. They're doing the opposite, and they're, they're home again after so many days. You've been out on the road forever. I don't see, I don't see um, a down situation here for, for Los Angeles. They're going to take care of business, I'd say, by you know, 10 points or so. Let's look at some of these other Week 11 matchups. Two teams that the Chargers are going to play in December – Bengals at Ravens, both in that wild card mix, and it looks like we may see Lamar Jackson make his first career start. Of course, the Bengals' defense has struggled mightily as of late. I think they've given up 500 total yards the last three weeks. I think this one, the winner firmly puts themselves in that wild card uh, race. The loser may be looking backwards a little bit. I can't take the loser seriously anymore in the AFC. In fact, I'm not sure either of these teams yeah, you get to the point where someone's going to sneak in and take the sixth spot in the playoffs, but they're going to be very quickly, you know, ushered out of the picture. And in it, for me, Cincinnati, I had a lot of hope in them coming into the year because their offense has more speed than it used to. And they were really playing excellent on that side of the ball in a way we hadn't seen since really Andy Dalton's, you know, very solid 2015 season. But the defense has killed them week after week. I feel like you could put Raggedy Ann at quarterback and they put up 30 points against this defense. And to the point where Marvin Lewis has had to take over the unit. And I, I, the, the Bengals, to me, you can, you, there are a lot of bad defenses that can win in the league right now if they have the high-powered offense on the other side. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs are an example. But the Bengals just are not, they're not getting it done. And the, the, it was a back-breaking loss against the Saints. They were so exposed. On the flip side, the Ravens have fallen off a cliff as well. And their defense, they really haven't been able to rush the passer. They're not getting sacks the last couple of weeks, not a lot of pressures, no turnovers. So it's kind of like one of these teams needs to get right and, you know, and they'll hang around, but the team that loses, and I know that Cincinnati would still be record wise in the mix with a loss. It's just, I can't, for me, I get, I get a little fed up with some of these, you know, totally milk toast operations that hang around to the end, but I cannot take them seriously as a playoff threat to anyone. They're the, uh, they're the anti-chargers, both teams. Titans-Colts in Indy. Titans coming off that 24-point win against the Pats. Actually makes that Chargers win in London look even better. And the Colts, quietly, they've been rolling. Winners of three straight, and they've been protecting Andrew Luck, Mark. For the first time in Earth history, we're seeing Andrew Luck protected <laughs> yes. well. And he's been, he's been amazing. I think it's three-plus touchdowns in six straight games. And, you know, he came into the year wondering about his arm strength because they were so emphasizing these quick, short passes. And they're still doing that, but he can throw the ball all over the place. It, this is a absolutely phenomenal version of Andrew Luck we're getting. I think that Frank Reich, you know, I know they wanted Josh McDaniels, but Frank Reich might have been, this might have been the best thing that could have happened to the Colts. Oh, yeah, I, th- I agree. You see it in Philadelphia, right? Without Frank Reich in Philadelphia, I think that it's now realized that he had such a big part of those game plans, especially down the stretch. 
They missed John Filippo as well at, at the quarterback position in, in Philly. But really, Frank Reich is, is a big part of why the Colts are surging. And they're very dangerous right now. I know their record, it, they're the difference to me than the Bengals and, and, and the Ravens because their record is not good, but they are playing some of the best football in the AFC on offense right now. Their defense does enough, and they can run the ball. They, could, they were so imbalanced a few weeks ago. But it's a huge challenge to play this Titans defense. We saw that with, that they, what they did against New England. That, to me, was one of the biggest sort of perception-altering victories from last week because you came out of it thinking, all right, maybe we're okay with Marcus Mariota. He's not, I, I would say overall he's had a, somewhat of a disappointing career, but he's also had like four coaches at this point. But that defense, the narrative now is, oh, is Tom Brady in decline? And it was that game and that performance that got that on everyone's radar so the Titans' defense is legitimate, and that's once you know I don't like teams in 2018 that are based around defense because you're gonna you just can't hang offensively, and their offense has been a week to week proposition, and they they'll be challenged. This is one of the more intri- intriguing games for me, and I really find myself if I want to root for one of these teams, it's the Colts because I really think their offense is so fascinating to watch that they're very dangerous down the stretch, and I'd love to see them you know continue on. Yeah, both teams trending in the right direction. Frank Reich was a coordinator here with the Chargers a few years back. And then the Titans, Marcus Mariota seems to have found something as of late with Matt LaFleur in that offense. And sometimes, you mentioned it, when you get a new coach in, in the mix, like Mike Vrabel, Matt LaFleur, Frank Reich, it, it takes some time in both these teams trending in the right direction. Steelers, Jags, as I mentioned, Chargers-Steelers has been flexed a Sunday night in a couple of weeks. Chargers, or Steelers rather, Steelers have been rolling, and they face a Jags team that doesn't resemble last season's version in the least. No, and it's, I think that's another example of you, you cannot just assume that a great defense is going to be that year after year. I mean, in, in the AFC West, the Broncos pulled that off for quite a bit of time, and the Chiefs did too, but that's changed now. And the, and the Jaguars, like I, I felt all offseason, they, they tried to sell us on this. Listen, we believe in Blake Bortles, and we're going to be fine with him, and look at what happened in the playoffs. And that was, you know what, I thought that he did shut a bunch of people up, up in the playoffs, but that had a lot to do with their aggressive play calling as well. And now you're stuck with a disastrous situation at the most important position, and you can't even count on the defense to lift you up in these games. And, and there seems to be a team, this is a young team, that, that's given, given itself over to a lot of infighting at this point. I, I there could be some changes there. Meanwhile, Pittsburgh is the team that we expected them to be. They are absolutely lights out on offense. Their defense is showing up. And they're, they're to me, another major spoiler in the AFC because you're getting great play from Ben Roethlisberger. And the fact that James Conner has done what he's done, he's one of the more intriguing running backs in the entire league. And the whole Lev Bell thing is finally out of our hair because they already have a running back doing everything that, that Le'Veon Bell can do. Finally, Mark. Chiefs-Rams now at the L.A. Coliseum, supposed to be in Mexico City, one of the most anticipated games of the season. Both teams 9-1. and one. Offenses are elite. We know that. Defenses can be scored on. What do you think happens in this one? I think it's so interesting that the Rams have had to put up with, uh, you know, this situation here in L.A. with the fires. And put up is not the right word, but just that it's been such a, a week or two of major transition. That team is, and their families have been in Colorado mm, preparing for yeah. this. And that said, you, you go from a game that was on a neutral site to playing back at home. And I think that's a huge competitive advantage for them. Uh, that said, the Chiefs have been, you know, home or away, nothing's changed about their offense. It, no one's really been able to stop it. So I, I, I can't really look at this and say it 
does anything but looks somewhat like that Rams-Saints game where you're just going to get two attacks that go punch for punch. And I would obviously trust the Rams' defense a little bit more, especially at home. And it may come down to which one of these offenses makes the first mistake. Because, it, you know, we've seen games this year, and in that Saints-Rams game, where the punters just sit on the sideline and they don't even need to have their shoes on. Oh, it's, you know, it's the best job in the world. There. It's the best job in the world. Right. It's like yeah, you're out there for maybe a minute or two tops. So it could, it could resemble that. You know, sometimes these primetime tilts take on a strange sort of feel where it doesn't go the way you'd expect. But these are two offenses that they're so consistent. It's almost boring to a degree where it's like you know the Rams are going to get 150 yards from Todd Gurley and three touchdowns through the air and put up 35 points every single week. And the Chiefs are the same. I think the Chiefs might have the weapons that are – they really have so many different ways to kill you, and they're so speed-based that I don't think they're going to have a, a – they're not going to come into L.A. – and stumble here. It's going to be one of the, the shootout affairs that you have to stick around till the very end. Mark, are you surprised that through 10 games, no one has been able to really slow this Chiefs team? I, I thought that maybe, you know, six, seven games in, you get a little more tape on Patrick Mahomes, you'd be able to slow this offense. Nobody's really had a game in which they've shut this offense down. There's just too many weapons. I mean, it's, it's similar a little bit to trying to defend the the Chargers, where I mean, if it's not Tyreek Hill, it's Kareem Hunt. You've got everything, you know, Travis Kelsey. Their their offensive line has been phenomenal. And in in years past, you kind of expect the Andy Reid Chiefs to start fast, and then they're going to get they're going to get exposed down the stretch, and then stumble in January. But that was always the Alex Smith led Chiefs. And Alex Smith is a good quarterback. Um, he's efficient. He doesn't make a lot of mistakes. But Patrick Mahomes has arm talent that only a few quarterbacks in our entire lifetime will have. It's so rare and that I, I don't think that watching tape on him alone is going to solve the issue because they've stayed healthy, he's well-protected, and he's aggressive. And he's a perfect fit for an offense that can really, even though they are so consistent, they can change what they do week to week. They use a lot of college concepts. They're getting, you know, Matt Nagy got, I think, the job in Chicago based on what they did down the stretch last year. And so this is such a creative attack and, you know, it's, it's almost reminds me in the sense where with the Patriots week to week, they're so different based on the defenses that they face that the Chiefs can kind of choose which one of their weapons they want to emphasize and kill you with on Sunday or Monday night. So I, I'm, not, I'm not surprised to see the consistency because I really think that the issue for me with Kansas City all along was the ceiling at quarterback. Now there is no ceiling. The great Mark Sessler, NFL.com. Mark, promote the podcast, where people can find your work on NFL.com, your Twitter handle, all that good stuff. On Twitter at Mark Sessler, M-A-R-C-S-E-S-S-L-E-R-N-F-L. Um, we are on, our group is on Twitter at Around the NFL. Our show, at the, during the season, we do three shows a week. Uh, it's Sunday nights after the game, which comes out late on Sunday after the Sunday night uh, football affair. And then we do, a, we do a show also on Wednesday and a show on Thursday that comes out after Thursday Night Football. And we have a Twitter show every Tuesday at, I would never get the time right, but it's 1.30 Pacific time, 1.30 California time. And if you live somewhere else, you can figure out the time zone scenario there. But so it's four shows a week in total. And, uh, you know, at this point, I'm so tired of hearing myself talk. I'm so tired of hearing everyone else talk. We're all so tired of each other. But it's, it's fun to do this. We're, we, it's our, I think it's our seventh year of doing uh, these podcasts, and it's been great. You guys do awesome work. Mark Sessler, looking forward to seeing you soon, man. December, a lot of good games, a lot of good games in Los Angeles. So I hope to see you out there at some. 
I would love to, and let's hang out soon. And thanks for having me, and hope to uh, hope to talk again when they're in their playoff hunt. And that's going to do it. A big thanks to Mark Sessler and Nikki Javala for joining me. And, of course, thanks to you all for listening. Don't forget, if you like what you hear, be sure to give us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Please help spread the word. We'll have a bonus segment on Friday to discuss Joey Bosa's return to practice, so be on the lookout for that. And until next time, I'm Chris Hayreed.